Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is now Sunday, November 6, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Belvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Hey, uh, welcome to the first Sunday request of the offseason. This is, for those of you who are new to the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, I'm going to be your baseball companion throughout the offseason. I do it during the regular season, too, but there are lots of places to check out baseball during the regular season. Now, if you are in the middle of shoveling your damn driveway or sick of reading about football, subscribe to me. I don't expect you to listen every day. But dip your toe in the River Sully. Come swim down for a few days. You may binge listen to me. I don't care. But I'm going to be here every day and for some of you who are new, I've got some new followers. I got a little burst of followers of the podcast and on Twitter. Uh, one of my recent followers is uh, his Twitter handle is P Mendoza six zero two, and he goes by the name of K seventeen DBV. Boy, I hope that means something because that sure as hell does not roll off the tongue. But thanks for uh, following me. Uh, see. Got a uh, a nice uh, tweet from him saying that uh, I I just discovered your podcast. I've been away from baseball for a while. Listening to you makes me want to get back into it. Well, good, good. That's the beauty of baseball. Baseball. Some people will dip out and dip back in. I've stuck with it, but I have a feeling there's a lot of people who are drawn into the drama of Chicago versus Cleveland in this last World Series. I hope so. I hope there's some brand new followers are in there. So anyway, um, welcome aboard. Uh, the what, what I do on Sundays is if they're tweet, people send me stuff via the Twitter. And I got to do 365 of these, so 52 of them are in your hands. And tell me what you want me to talk about. And if there's something that strikes my mind or strikes my fancy uh, or what happens with, with today's Sunday's request – uh, I will answer it. Now, this is sometimes what happens to the Sunday request. Happened to me today with one of my regular listeners and followers, Jim Furlong, who goes by the handle Ewok in L.A. Hey, Jim, how are you? Uh, you've been a fan of the show for a while, and you've been a good devoted listener. I've done several Sunday requests from Ewok in L.A. And sometimes what happens is when I get to a little Twitter back and forth, I realize that it's probably better to do it as a podcast because, A, if you get into a Twitter rabbit hole, you could be typing with your little thumbs, and next thing you know, you spent five hours arguing with somebody over a Milwaukee Brewers cap. And it also gives me the higher ground because, uh, you know, I get to say my piece and, you know, no one gets to challenge me because I'm alone here in Palo Alto recording this. And it's a little bit of a cheat on my part, but what, hey, Jim Furlong, Ewok in L.A., could do a daily podcast if he wanted to. I was thinking about this because this I don't make any money for this podcast. I make, I make gotch, okay? I, it cost me almost nothing to produce. Hosting on SoundCloud is very, very inexpensive. 
I already have the equipment. Most of the time, this costs me a grand total of zero dollars and zero cents, and I make it all back. So, I the the and I use programs that were already built into the computer. And I was thinking about a line from Doctor Strangelove, which was when the uh, the president, played by Peter Sellers, was talking to Doctor Strangelove, played by Peter Sellers, and. Dr. Strangelove was talking about the doomsday device that the Russians were building that would essentially destroy all human and animal life if detonated. And he said, the president asked, is it possible to build such a machine? How is it possible to build such a machine? And his response was, the technology required is not very complicated. It re- all it requires is the will to do so. So in order to do a daily baseball podcast for the nearly 1,500 days that I've done this, does not require technology. It just requires the will to do so. And yes, I just equated the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast with a device that could destroy all human and animal life. Think about that. It's either profound or really stupid. Perhaps it's both. But... Jim Furlong, you could do this if you want. You could match me episode for episode. Let's see you do it. Let's see how long you last. Um, Jim Furlong, big LA fan, big baseball fan, uh, knows what I think about Aroldis Chapman. And I'm going to post one of these uh, Twitters that he sent me, tweets. What are they called? They're called tweets. God, I feel old right now. Uh, But as the Sunday request, but I'm going to read you some of the exchange here. And he said, uh, we feel the same way about Chapman. As For those of you who are new to the River Sully, uh, I am not a fan of Aroldis Chapman, uh, not for baseball reasons, but because of his domestic violence history. And I think that we, as a culture, don't take domestic violence very seriously. And we, as sports fans as a whole, don't take domestic violence very seriously. It's swept under the rug, and a lot of people say, who cares? Sports fans on a whole, not entirely, obviously, but on a whole, get more upset over Tom Brady deflating balls or someone taking steroids over someone beating their wife or firing a gun into the wall to threaten their, their girlfriend or whatever the hell all these horrible things are. And the you know, baseball is trying their best, and as we've said, at least they're making an effort. I mean, the NFL has been, this is not an opinion, it's a fact, they have been disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. And, by the way, would someone tell me how Roger Goodell is not only still the commissioner of football, but, like, he, why isn't he in jail? I mean, he's horrific. This guy's grotesque. This guy is, uh, I mean, he is, every, he is practically an accessory to domestic violence. So, and I, and I feel very passionate about this subject because I feel that it's, this is one of these things that will, we will look back, and we're going to look back on a generation or two and go, wait a minute, how is this? controversial. Why isn't it cut and dry? I firmly believe that, that we're going to look back at in, in 2036. We're going to look back at how domestic violence was looked at, 
was covered, was discussed in 2016 and go, holy crap, what the hell was the matter with them? You don't believe me? Go back maybe 20, 30 years and look at the discussion about drunk driving. Drunk driving. Secondhand smoke. Things like that that we look at, yeah, of course, if you're drunk driving, that's terrible. That's horrible. But there were whole campaigns to try to educate people about how horrible it was, and there was resistance. Saying, oh, come on. What's the big deal? You have to have mad and glad and dad and zad and vlad and all these things, these groups to educate people. Say, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't drive drunk. Maybe you shouldn't smoke around kids. Maybe you should put your fucking seatbelts on when you drive a car. There had to be movements about this. We look at it now and we'll say, yeah, of course. But people had to be, minds had to be changed. Helmet laws. And why pass a helmet law? And of course, everyone who was against helmet laws, well, their brains were already scrambled as it were. Well, we're going to look back at domestic violence and say, God, do you believe it used to be like, it used to be discussed, like, what to do. Like, they gave a guy one game. Like, Tom Brady was, like, was, was sent away in shackles and, and sent to an island to do hard labor because he slightly deflated a couple, allegedly slightly deflated a couple of footballs two years ago. But, you know, if you beat your wife, like, you got, what, a game? You can't play it down. I think that's what it is. So baseball is at least doing something about that. And I prefer to be on the correct side of this argument because we're all going to be there in 20 years, so you might as well get there now. And I don't want, I did not want to celebrate a role this Chapman to be the, him to be the one that is seen jumping up and clinching the World Series. And thank goodness it turned out to not be the case. It turned out that it was basically we're going to see the images of all the Cubs jumping up and down. The pitcher who got the final out was uh, Mike Montgomery. But, you know, I was very vocal on this podcast about my feelings of Aroldis Chapman. I have some very strong feelings about Jose Reyes as well. And once we find out what's going on with Jerry's Familia of which I've only done a little bit of homework on that. But I, you know, if it's the same story, uh, I'm going to throw him into the same pile as well. Now, I got on the Cubs big time when they made the trade for a role this chap. It made sense in a baseball sense, but like, is that, does, is that trumping how we're going to deal with domestic violence. To me, it, it showed the problem. Yeah, yeah, he did that, but oh man, he throws the ball 100 miles an hour. Therefore, his ability to throw the ball 100 miles an hour overwrites whatever he did. And I, I have a problem with that. Here's what Jim Furlong said to me. We feel the same about Chapman. But if the Cubs don't trade for Chapman, I don't think they win the World Series. I replied, how do you figure? And he said, do you think the Cubs bullpen minus Chapman could have held on in game five, meaning game five of the World Series, when Joe Madden brought in Chapman in the seventh, and he pitched, he finished the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth, and the Cubs held on to win that game. And I admit, Chapman uh, did a fine job in that game. 
But what I was responding to Jim is I said, well, look it. Chapman was not a difference-making closer. In fact, you could argue that he, he was not even good. He was mediocre. Andrew Miller saved for his... Andrew Miller ran out of gas. I mean, they were bringing him out left and right. Okay, and by the time he got to Game 7 of the World Series, uh, he was cooked. But up until Game 7 of the World Series, save for that one homer by Dexter Fowler, he was damn unhittable. He shut down the Red Sox. He was the MVP of the ALCS against Toronto and ground the Cubs bats to a halt until Game 7. Cody Allen, also outstanding relief pitching work that he did. He was a difference-making. Now, I don't think Aroldis Chapman, I mean, beyond the fact that I think he's a scumbag, I think what he did in the postseason was thoroughly mediocre. Now, I'm not a huge fan of well, the win stat throw it in the garbage for relief pitchers, okay? But Chapman got a couple of wins in this postseason because he blew saves, he blew, he had four saves in this postseason. Four. He had three blown saves. He had seven save opportunities and converted four of them. That sucks. That's a terrible ratio. Now, you can say, hey, he was brought in with runners in scoring position, everything, they didn't come in clean. Okay, fine. You can do stuff like that. His ERA was 3.44. 3.44. Now think about that for a second. An ERA is what you would average over nine innings. That means a 3.44 earned run average means you are allowing just approximately, actually a little more, but let's just round it down to one run every three innings. If you throw three innings, you're going to let up one run. Now, think if you're a closer, and chances are you're coming into a game with a you know with a small lead. That means one out of every three games you're going to allow a run to score. If you're coming in in one run games, that means you're probably going to blow one out of every three games you pitch. And he actually, you know, that seems like it's kind of the way it lined up. Letting up, you know, he pitched 15 and two-thirds innings and let up six runs in that period of time. He let up, what, 18 base runners in 15 and two-thirds innings. I mean, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't better than mediocre. So the question of, is he... Could the Cubs have won the World Series without him? Well, they could have won with a mediocre closer. When they acquired Aroldis Chapman, they had a seven-game lead. Now, I do not think, even if they had a mediocre closer, that the Cubs were going to blow the seven-game lead to St. Louis or to Pittsburgh. So I think they get into the postseason. 
Chapman blew a key save against San Francisco. He blew a save against Los Angeles. And he nearly blew the goddamn World Series on Game 7. So just removing my thoughts about him as a human being, you can't tell me a closer who, I mean, if you had a closer whose ERA was like in the zeros or in the ones, and just every game they pitched, they dominated. Rivera had postseasons like that. Keith Folk had a postseason like that. If you show me someone doing something along those lines, that every time they came out, it was everything shut down. Even if it was kind of wobbly, like John Wetland won the World Series MVP in 1996. He wasn't as lights out as Mariano Rivera. But, you know, he wiggled out of all the trouble that he got into, and boom, there you go. Koji Uehara, there's one. Save for the Jose Lobaton home run against Tampa, that one game. The rest of his postseason, he shut everyone down. He shut everyone damn down. That's a difference maker. You could say the Red Sox don't win the World Series without Keith Folk or without Koji Uehara, or to even a lesser degree, Papelbon. I'll listen to you. If you tell me that the Yankees don't win all those World Series without Rivera, I, I, there's a couple postseason I would completely agree with that. Not everyone. I think there were some years that if they had a good, not a great closer, they would have, they would have won. Maybe not have rampaged. You know, I think the 98 Yankees, if they had a good, not a great closer in there, I think they probably would have won. It may not have been a sweep of the Padres, but I think they would have won. Chapman, difference maker, he was mediocre. There's no element of this that makes me think, oh, what tipped the scales between Cleveland and Chicago? If there was a pitcher who tipped the scales, you could argue John Lester. That he pitched so well those first six innings in that game that if he doesn't pitch well there and he gets clobbered and smacked around, that World Series is over. And if he doesn't come through out of the bullpen and keep the the Indians from going on a huge rally, all right, maybe I'll listen. You could make you could point out that he lost game one, but I'll listen to that. But if you replace Chapman with a mediocre closer, I think you get the same damn result because he was a mediocre closer. And could someone else have pitched well and thrown three shutout innings? I don't know, perhaps. Montgomery was certainly solid. You know, it got to the point where the uh, um, uh, Joe Madden did not seem to want to pitch anyone other than a Aroldis Chapman out of the bullpen at that point because he didn't trust Carl Edwards. He didn't trust Justin Grimm. He didn't trust Pedro Strope. He didn't trust Hector Rondon. He didn't trust Travis Wood. But Wood pitched well against Los Angeles. 
Montgomery pitched well in several of the games, including the game where they, they won it all. I mean, I don't know the answer. Did Chapman pitch well in that World Series game? Yeah, he did. In that game five? Yeah, he did. But he pitched lousy in the other games. You remove that one game and his ERA is over four. You know, if the, I mean, let me put it this way. If the Giants bullpen didn't melt down in game four of the division series, think of this scenario for a second. Let's say they hold on to a three-run lead at home. You know, most teams can do that. The Giants' bullpen was grotesque. If you would ask me if Chapman was on the Giants, then okay, that is a difference because it is a weakness. That was a huge weakness. Now, remember, Giants had a three-run lead and had a rested and ready Johnny Cueto ready to go for game five. And Cueto, Lester, that's a coin toss, much like game one was of that division series because that ended up being one nothing. There was a real scenario that go Cubs go, everyone's grandparents crying could have been a division series loss and we would be looking at the Giants in the National League Championship Series and all the even number, even year stuff would be alive and well, thank you very much. If that had happened... You would have pointed to the rally off of Chapman. Seriously. The rally off of Chapman would have sparked that because the Giants were dead. The Dodgers were dead until, you know, (laughs) there was a rally off of Chapman in the league championship series. And the, 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 the Indians were dead. And then they rallied off of him. So I can't say the tipping point of a hundred. How many games did the damn Cubs win this year? They won of a hundred and three win season where they ran away with the division and went on to win the World Series in spite of their closer. I have a hard time saying that he was the difference maker. I have a hard time looking back and saying, "Well, they won the World Series because they had this guy." No. He had two, he had, what, he had, he had the one game which he saved, and the other times he pitched were mop-up rolls, and the game where he nearly blew the whole, the whole thing. So, I'm sorry, Ewok in L.A., Jim Furlong, take away even my feelings towards him as a human being, I'm not going to say that the World Series rested on him. He pitched well in that one game. Okay, so did Lester. And you could point that there have been instances through that series. I mean, the Indians only scored one run in game three, and Hendricks only pitched into the fifth. So they got, you know, they did get some stuff from Montgomery, Strope, and Grimm. They did get some production from some of their relief pitchers along the way. So I, I do like closers, and I do think a difference-making closer can be a tipping point 
in some years, especially, I mean, I look at 2009, especially, where all the teams that fell apart in the postseason in 2009 saw a bullpen meltdown. The Twins' bullpen had a meltdown. The, uh, what was the other? The Angels' bullpen had a meltdown. The Red Sox' bullpen had a meltdown. Philadelphia's bullpen had a meltdown. The Colorado Rockies' bullpen had a meltdown. Los Angeles' bullpen uh, crashed and burned at one point. Who was the other? What the hell was the other team in that? Um, who did the Phillies? Who did the Dodgers beat to get into? Oh, St. Louis had a huge bullpen meltdown, and a terrible play by Matt Holiday. And finally, Brad Lidge had his ultimate meltdown again. And Rivera was the only closer who didn't completely wet the bed. So it is possible, but I ain't gonna heap the praise on a Roldis Chapman and say that the Cubs aren't having a parade if it weren't for him. There were a lot of heroes and a lot of people who shone in this World Series for the Cubs and in this postseason for the Cubs. You could just as easily say they don't win the World Series if David Ross doesn't hit that home run. So, Jim Furlong, we're not going to agree on this one. And... I'm not going to get all sabermetrics on everyone because I don't understand how sabermetrics work. But the fact of the matter is this. Chapman, not only was he not a good person, he wasn't that great a closer this postseason. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. So if you have something you want me to talk about in this offseason, go send it to me via Twitter. I'm not doing Who Owns Baseball anymore. There are no more games. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, Survive on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Answering the questions and moving on this offseason, this has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for Sunday, the sixth day of November 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. <laughs>